KFBK Weekend Live. A lively conversation on the weekend with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. Streaming now on Facebook Live. Like the show on Facebook to watch along. Real time talk with this week's host, Joey Garcia, on News Radio KFBK. News Radio KFBK, and welcome to Weekend Live. I'm Joey Garcia. Delighted to be with you on the Saturday afternoon, even though it is so hot. You know, when I first moved to Sacramento, it uh, it was 1984, and that summer was 125 degree days. And I thought, what has, <laughs> where have I moved? Um, it was terrible. I, I uh, can't imagine how people survive in other parts of the country, like Arizona, because that would not be for me. <laughs> But um, really happy to be here with you. We're going to talk about the G20 Summit. It's a family affair. And uh, we'll also speak about, you know, whether or not we're driving each other crazy on the roads out there, because I think we are. I know that I feel crazy sometimes on the roads, depending on whether I'm in a good mood, other drivers are in a good mood, how much I can tolerate. It's, It's pretty gnarly out there sometimes, so... So there's that. And uh, we'll also talk about refugees. There's some interesting things going on in Montana. Some moms there have decided to put politics aside and uh, do what they feel is right by welcoming refugees to their little Montana town. We'll talk about all those things. But uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is an interview with... uh, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. And she's got a new book out called Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. And somehow this book, I don't know, it it's both a uh, a romance, a story of romance, and um and sort of a medical mystery. Uh Dr. Vanessa Grubbs, are you on the line with us now? Yes, I'm here. Oh wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. Um I, uh, yeah, I, thank I, you for inviting me. I was delighted when I read the first chapter of your book. I was I was really drawn in to the story. Uh, you are an associate professor of medicine um, at the University of California, San Francisco, and yeah. you've been caring for patients with advanced chronic kidney disease and those on dialysis. But it sounds like you fell in love with a patient. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, um, at the time I was a primary care doctor and. And he was not my patient, but um, he was on um, dialysis and had been for several years when I met him. And um, it was through him that I got a much closer look at what um, it's like for people living with kidney failure, um, particularly on dialysis, as well as a closer look at the kidney transplant system here in the U.S. And it was because of... um, you know, all of that, that I decided to give him one of my kidneys. And that whole uh, relationship inspired me to become a nephrologist as well. Now, had you, so you were already a doctor prior to meeting I was already him. a doctor, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so how did you, how did you and Robert actually meet? Well, uh, I The moment. Tell us the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> It, it was no love at first sight kind of thing. And, and actually, when we first met, um, uh, it was we were p- both part of a strategic planning for uh, Alameda County Medical Center in uh, Oakland. 
California, where I was um, had just finished my primary care residency, and he was part of the board of trustees. So, um, you know, I was doing some programmatic work, and I introduced myself to him, and and truthfully, he kind of blew me off a bit. So I just walked away. And but about a year later, and I happened to be married to somebody else at the time, so I really wasn't paying much attention to him. So, um, but a year later, I was um, going through a divorce, and uh, a mutual friend uh, asked him to give me a call uh, in order to kind of get the scoop on uh, my colleagues at the hospital in order to try to facilitate him getting a kidney transplant. And um, he invited me to a dinner. It was supposedly for seven or eight people, um, but it ended up being uh, the two of us and our mutual friend at her home. And, uh, uh, it was, sounds think, like a uh, setup. It sounds like a setup. I think it was. <laughs> she won't own it completely, but uh, there you yeah, go. there are some sparks flying um, at that dinner. So, yeah, that's how we got started. And so through this, you've learned a lot about, you said, the kidney delivery system. Tell us about that. Is it is it a fair system in this country? Do we have to be concerned? Are there ways to make it better? Well, I, I don't think everyone has equal access to kidney transplant in this country. I, I don't. And at the time when I was going through the process, I, I certainly could see that um, the system was set up in a way that um, there would be differences in, in terms of who got transplants. And, and more specifically, um, in this country, blacks and whites each make up about a third of the kidney transplant waiting list. But um, whites would get roughly every other kidney, but blacks would get like every fifth kidney. And that meant that they would wait on average two years longer for a kidney transplant. And, you know, end-stage kidney disease is a very serious illness, and, and two years can definitely be the, the difference between life and death. So um, I do think there are a lot of things just within the kidney transplant system in and of itself that um, could be improved, but there's lots of issues even before a person um, gets to the kidney transplant center that should and can be addressed too, I think. So are these things that, that every hospital across the country could put in place and uh, create um, an equalization of the system or, or better service delivery system? You know, I, I do think so. I, I definitely think things can be done. And when I, when I say that there's, um, there's problems even before a person walks into the kidney transplant center, by that I mean uh, in order to get evaluated for kidney transplant, one has to know that they have uh, kidney disease. And we know from um, published research that most people are unaware of their kidney disease. And once you know you have kidney disease, you have to be in the care of a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, because only a kidney specialist can refer a person for kidney transplant. So that brings up all the issues about who has access to care. And then that nephrologist has to look at you and consider you for a kidney transplant um, in order to refer you in the first place. So all of those things, I think, are open to a lot of our um, system and institutional, as well as down to the you know personal levels of the bias, whether it be conscious or subconscious. 
And so I think that things like um, automating things as much as possible could be a way to equalize things. A make bit. it, yeah, make it more fair. That makes sense to me. Um, how common is kidney disease? Is it like one in how many people? Well, uh, I haven't seen the numbers of a one in, but um, we do know that roughly 26 million adults in this country have. Um, some stage of chronic kidney disease. Now, fortunately, most of those don't have the very advanced stages of kidney disease, but um, there are roughly half a million people who are on dialysis and another 100,000 who are living with kidney transplants. I also want to ask you about your title of your book, Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. What does Mm -hmm. that refer to? Um, Somehow I was trying to make a connection with that and kidney disease, and I just, I don't, I didn't quite grasp it. Well, yeah, you'll you'll come across it. I forget which chapter. Maybe it's like chapter six. And really, it comes from me trying to um, describe the the anatomy of the kidney on an electron microscopic level. So really, the the book gives a lot of information, a lot of general information about the kidney and um, transplant analysis and all of these things, uh, because I, I think people in general don't really know about kidneys and what they do and and how to find out about things. Um, But at the same time, I didn't want the book to be a textbook and I wanted it to be something that wouldn't bore people to tears, like, you know, trying to understand all this medical stuff. So um, my description of the, um, the, uh, the kidney on this really uh, ultra microscopic level um, I'm talking about the, the units, uh, there's filters in each kidney, and there's like these interlacing fingers that form uh, the pores of the kidneys that allow them to filter our blood appropriately to, you know, make sure that we pee out waste and we hold back um, important things like protein. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Uh, Vanessa, I, I don't know if I should, should I call you Dr. Vanessa, Vanessa, Dr. That's Grubbs? Fine. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever feels comfortable. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to hold on the line just a moment. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back to you. I have just a couple more questions about the romantic part of uh, yeah. of the book where I was just really hooked. And it, it like I said, it, it reads um, with so much excitement. And um, joy, yeah, with the writing is terrific. So we're going to come back in just a moment. I'm Joey Garcia. We're listening to KFBK Weekend Live. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more with Dr. Vanessa Grubbs right after this. The KFBK Afternoon News with Kitty O'Neill. Depend on it. Sacramento's News, Traffic, and Weather. News Radio KFBK. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. I'm Joey Garcia, your host today, and we are on the web at KFBK.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. We have as our guest this segment, Vanessa Grubbs, who has written a wonderful new book called Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. It's her first book, and it's about, um, gosh, Vanessa, I want to say, Falling in love and um, and and giving uh, giving your loved one truly a part of yourself is that corny? I mean, it's 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 amazing <laughs> to me, you know, that you did this. That you you gave um, you fell in love with a man who um, had 
was was on dialysis and you gave him one of your kidneys. Mm -hmm. This is extraordinary. I think what uh, is most amazing to a lot of people uh, is that uh, surgery happened about nine months after we started dating and uh, we were not yet married. Um, And so a lot of people think, um, are you crazy? It's a sacrifice, but uh, but that's what love is, right? Love is a sacrifice in in some ways. For me, yeah, it was uh, kind of a, it was a no-brainer for me. It's like, okay, here's this um, person that I love, and I want him to have the best chance of being on the planet for the longest time. And, you know, I'm dealing with this system that I'm not sure can, you know, take care of him. So, hey, I, I have two. He needs one. Let's, let's do it. How was life for you after giving up a kidney? Were you okay? Well, you Are know- you okay now? Oh, yeah. It's been 12 years. Um, my husband, Robert, is doing great. We got married about four months after surgery. Wow. And the running joke is he, he kind of had to marry me after that. But <laughs> you know, we were definitely on that path already, of course. But um, uh, we both had a little bit of a complicated um, hospital course. But um, since um, leaving the hospital, he's never needed dialysis again. And for me, um, I just had to um, focus on staying healthy. And um, so once you lose, once you give away one kidney, the remaining kidney does grow a bit to try to compensate for its mate no longer being there. You never get back the full 100% of your um, function, but within a few weeks to months, you do get back a full 85%. And for me, that is enough. And that's plenty for people to live with for the rest of their lives and um, That's and it's a slightly increased risk of um, going on to kidney failure. But I think I'm not any different from most donors and feeling like, you know, it's a it's a risk worth taking. Well, especially for someone you love. Right. And and as a doctor um, and, a, and a doctor, uh, your associate professor of medicine in the division of nephrology. I said that wrong, didn't I? How is that? No, that's right. Oh, okay. At the University of California, San Francisco. And mm-hmm. so you have such um, a compassionate window now for patients, even more so than you would have before, having been through this, I would imagine. Would, would you say that's yeah. true? No, I, I completely agree. I think um, uh, most doctors are quite healthy, and we've never really been through most of the things that we put our patients through. So for me to have lived on the other side as a patient uh, definitely gave me uh, a tremendous uh, and different level of insight and empathy and an ability to talk about things to my patients from a place of uh, knowledge, not uh, from living it, not just from I read about it in a book. And speaking of the book, (laughs) so (laughs) you um, how long did it take you to write the book? Oh, goodness. Well, I first conceived of the book about five years ago, I think, you know, having the thought, oh, I think I have enough to say to write a book. And um, then I, you know, tried to train myself, learn about the art of writing a bit. And uh, it took a while to get the book proposal together to get the whole literary agent. But from getting the book contract, I spent a couple of years writing the book. And, and of course, that was while maintaining my day job and, and family. Yeah, that's the question. Um, also, I'm I'm wondering what it was like to go through that surgery, go through the recovery to um, to take care of a partner who was also going through 
surgery and needing care. You have a medical practice. You're, you know, all this stuff going on. How did you keep yourself safe and sane and upright? <laughs> well, you know, I, at the time I was a, um, a clinical research fellow. So most of my um, work was really kind of crunching numbers and writing scientific papers. So it's, you know, it's not like I was, you know, doing okay. some hard physical okay. labor like, uh, you know, a lot of people have to do. Um, but and, and I think Robert um, is my husband. He's, he's a very self-sufficient person. So, you know, he uh, prides himself on taking care of himself. And for, for me, you know, I was really, I was tired for um, a, several weeks after surgery. And, and I think I'm probably like most uh, doctors in that we are the worst patients when they told me, oh, yeah, it's going to take you four to six weeks to fully recover. And, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I can do it in two. But the truth is I, I did need like a nap during the day for um, a good four to six weeks. That makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to think in uh, Chinese medicine, we have just about a minute here, but in Chinese medicine, I think, isn't the liver the seat of the soul? Um, and it's uh, this beautiful idea of the soul, of your souls being just a part of each other in a quite a physical way, you and your husband. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, once again, we've been talking with Dr. Vanessa Grubbs, who is the author of the new book, Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. We have just a minute left here, but I think you're, um, you have a, a reading and signing coming up soon. I do. I'm, I'll be traveling to Portland and Seattle this week. You know, I keep all of my events on my website, thenephrologist.com. Okay. Um, so, and that's um, a great place out for people to find there. you. Perfect. Yeah, all right. Well, thank I you so much for your time. And all of that. Great. Yeah, thank, thank you, you. So much. This is Joey Garcia. I'm at KFBK Weekend Live, and we have news next with Carolyn Burns. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. I'm Joey Garcia, your host for today's show. And we are on the web at KFBK.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. Give us a call at 916-921-1530 or toll-free 800-834-1530 if you want to talk about something in the news. I love the music we just had, Sly and the Family Stone. It's a family affair. Because the G20 summit, as I'm sure you've heard in the news, has become a family affair. So what is a G20 summit? It's, it's the world's leading industrialized and emerging economies gathering together and talking, making decisions, thinking about things, really. Um, you know, it's not every country because it becomes more difficult to make decisions when there are too many cooks in the kitchen. But... Uh, it's going on right now in Hamburg, Germany, and you probably heard because Twitter exploded over this, but uh, Ivanka took up a seat that is reserved for the president during the third working session of the G20 leaders, while Mr. Trump attended separate meetings elsewhere at the summit. 
It's not uncommon for G20 leaders to send proxies to working sessions while they themselves hold bilateral meetings with other leaders, but it's thought to be the first time a, a leader has sent his daughter to fulfill a role. You know, Twitter exploded, lots of opinions about this. Some people are, are really annoyed, feel like Ivanka is unqualified to be sitting in a seat and she wasn't elected, et cetera, et cetera. These are some of the complaints. But it's interesting that German Chancellor um, Angela Merkel saw no problem at all. In fact, she said, and this is a quote, Ivanka Trump belongs to the American delegation. So that is in line with what other delegations do. And it's known that she works at the White House and carries responsibility for certain initiatives of the White House. So she took a very kind of casual, expansive um, view of, uh, of Ivanka sitting in. I'm wondering what you think about it. Give me a call, 921-1530 or 800-834-1530. The president's wife, um, Melania, has also been called upon by the U.S. delegation. She was sent in at one point with Mr. Trump's rather long, lengthy conversation with Russia's president, uh, Vladimir, Vladimir, I can talk, Vladimir Putin. Um, to, she went, you know, they wanted that conversation to wind up. So they sent in uh, Mrs. Trump, the first lady, to uh, to give them a little nudge and, and move the conversation along so they can get into uh, other meetings. I think that's kind of funny. It turns out that um, Mr. Putin and... Uh, Mrs. Trump get along famously. They really enjoy um, chatting with each other. And and Mr. Trump was sitting next to um, Argentina's first lady, who has been voted, by the way, the most elegant first lady in the world by Hola magazine. <laughs> I think that's so cute. Anyway, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of Mr. Trump, um, President Trump in the U.S., you know, people here have been very upset, thinking that he's giving his family too much power in his administration. His um, his son-in-law, Ivanka's husband, Jared Kushner, who's also at the G20 summit, was appointed as one of President Trump's chief advisors when um, Mr. Trump took office in January. And then, of course, Ivanka was uh, promoted to her current official role in March. How do you feel about that? If you... um. If you had been elected president, would you have your family involved, your adult children involved in these ways? Do you think it's cool? Do you think it's a problem? The other thing that's really interesting that has happened or come out of the G20 summit is Ivanka and the World Bank rolled out a new fund that will help female entrepreneurs get more money or get money, capital financing and other support so they can launch businesses. World Bank president, um, uh, Jim Yong Kim said that the Women's Entrepreneurs Finance Initiative Fund had so far raised $325 million from various governments, and that money will be available to women entrepreneurs all over the world. President Trump has pledged uh, $50 million of U.S. government funds for the venture. Um, wow, that's pretty amazing. How do you feel about it? Give me a call, 921-1530. Or 1-800-834-1530. I think I'm so hot, like my tongue is sticking <laughs> today. Woo, melting, really? Wow, it's hot. It is hot. Anyway, it's a family affair for the Trumps. And some people think that is not appropriate. Some people have made um, kind of unkind jokes about it's becoming a monarchy. Some people feel like, you know what? You know, um, the Trump family... 
in in the view of some people, has been very successful in business. Um, why not get the whole family involved uh, if they can take action to make things better? What do you think about that? Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think it's it's ethical, unethical? Do you think it's um, something that you yourself would choose to do if you had been somehow elected to the highest office in the land? Give me a call, 916-921-1530 or toll-free, 800-834-1530. Fox News also reports that um, Mrs. Trump's, the first lady's, had a big jump in her popularity. So 51% of voters are viewing her favorably. And that's a that's up 14 points since December and 16 points since the first time Fox News polled, um, asked voters about her. And that was about last summer, I think. Um, interesting, right? They're still waiting for those numbers to rise a little bit more because... Uh, the first lady falls short of her predece- predecessor, Michelle Obama, around the same time last year. Um, about 73% of voters viewed Mrs. Obama favorably. So, but uh, numbers are up, and, and that's, that's a positive thing. I'm Joey Garcia. This is KFBK Weekend Live. We are on the web at kfbk.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. Be back right after this. Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. I'm Joey Garcia, your host this Saturday, and we are on the web at kfbk.com and streaming live from your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. You can call me at 916-921-1530 or toll-free, 800-834-1530. I love We Are Family. Fun song to be playing because we were just talking about how the G20 Summit has become a family affair for the the Trump family, and uh, we see Ivanka taking a seat that has been reserved for the president. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing. You want to talk about that, or you want to talk about driving? Because I think that uh, we're driving each other crazy on the roads out there. There's a, there's about 13 common traffic violations or driving violations or just, I don't know, rude driving that seems to be causing at least me some stress and I think some other drivers stress as well. One of the things I find really strange is is what we used to call tailgating. Tailgating was really more about driving too close to someone's bumper on the road. And I I think I'm going to I'm going to drag Luis um, Aquino our uh, producer into this a little bit to chat with him a little bit. Luis, you said that you don't um you don't actually drive that often, but you do drive, right? Have you noticed even um, even when you take Lyft that people are tailgating a lot more? Yeah, I feel like they're trying to like rush you on, like they like kind of intimidate you. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I I feel like the bigger the car, the the more uh, intimidation is going on, and people not only what I've noticed, not just the tailgating with the driving too close to someone's bumper, but we're still at a stoplight or a stop sign. People pull up really close and. That's an act of intimidation. But more interestingly to me, if I had to pull, if I was pulled up really close to a car's bumper and I needed to get out of that lane for some emergency, I couldn't because I'm stuck too close, right? I'm, I'm, I've pulled so close, there's no room for me 
to easily maneuver and navigate out into a different lane. So thinking about that, you 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 might think you're uh, pushing the next driver forward, but you're really locking yourself in. And that seems like a kind of crazy thing to do. What about parking? People tend more often than ever before to take two parking spaces or just to park so close to the line that it makes it difficult for the next driver. I feel like the parking spaces are getting smaller, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's some parking lots in town, some of the strip mall parking lots that that are so, so squeezed. It's insane. We have to kind of really wriggle out. Yeah. I <laughs> I had a crazy thing happen one time in one particular uh I won't name the I won't name the strip mall. How's that? Because it's one that has particularly small small uh parking spaces. But this young man parked so close to my car that I couldn't get back into it at all. I had to go around to all the different stores and call out the ty- kind of car he had and it turns out he was in the vi- in a um video game store. <laughs> And I had to call. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He didn't even realize it, but he had locked me in because he had parked so close. He was so excited to get out and get to the video store. So there you go. How's that? How about changing lanes without signaling and then getting angry at people for, you know, whatever, not letting you in or being surprised that you just suddenly are in their lane. I feel like signaling is um, is a way to communicate. It's healthy communication skills. I agree. Thank you for agreeing with me. <laughs> that was uh, communicative of you. And I mean, a lot of the cars now, they have turn signal indicators, blind spot indicators. So there's really no reason to not be using like all of that stuff. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's a way to to be kind to other people. You're cueing them that you need to move. And it's a way to say like, I trust you. You trust me. Let me move into your lane. Right. And then there's a driver when you do a signal, they speed up. Oh, I just okay. So you didn't get to see this, but uh, Luis just rolled his eyes, tossed his head. And yeah, right. I'm not going to call them out, but I was in the car with the relative who's my sister (laughs) and she was doing that. And I was like, what are you doing? Let this person over. You see, they're trying to get over. Yeah, I don't understand what that's about. It's a really strange behavior because it sort of says there's not there's not room for all of us when the root the, the truth is there there's plenty of room for all of us on the road. So there's that. What's another one? Um, okay, driving under the speed limit. So a lot we hear plenty of complaints about people driving too quickly, driving faster than the speed limit. But one of the things that really I find irritating is when people just kind of putt 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 along and force other vehicles to abide by their preference. I feel like it's passive aggressive driving. And, you know, the person who's just putting along driving under the speed limit is often shocked when other drivers are honking or tailgating or swerving dangerously. Um, You know, I've got Steve on the line and he was uh, he's in Sacramento. He wants to talk about aggressive drivers. Hi, Steve. Yeah, hey, uh, you just, right when I was calling in, you covered it. Yeah, it's with the way California drivers are, especially around here in Sacramento, you know, the worst drivers in the nation. Um, if you signal, you're, you're, you know, conveying your intention to do something, and people will try and cut you off because you signal. Why so, do they yeah, do that? Why? Signal just for that fact. Yeah, why do you think they do that, though? I think that they just... You know, it's all about control, and they don't want to give up control of their lane that they're in. You know, they just 
They don't want to see that power to somebody else. It's a it's very aggressive behavior. And yeah, yeah. So and it's saying that there's not enough for everyone. We're not we're not in this together. I'm right. you know, I'm I'm in this for myself. It's one. Yep. It's me against the world. Wow. Oh, yeah. it, traffic is a dog eat dog world. You know, it's everybody's out for themselves. And, you know, I mean, other places, it's not like that. But California and Sacramento in particular, it is for sure. I'm so glad you called, Steve. I know that we uh, we share these concerns, and I'm not sure what we can do about it. But uh, we're that's some, one of the things I really want to think about. We got to wrap up. Um, this is Camp BK Weekend Live. I'm Joey Garcia, and we'll be back after this. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. I'm Joey Garcia, your host today, and we are on the web at KFBK.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. Give me a call at 916-921-1530 or toll-free 800-834-1530 to talk about drivers in Sacramento or um, what's happening, you know, in the international political scene. We've got the G20 Summit going on. And, you know, some controversy still lingering um, from the Thursday speech that President Trump gave in Poland when he said the fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the will to defend our values at any cost? It was part of what he what he said in the speech and people are getting upset. What does he mean by West? Is that exclusive? Are we are we um are we talking about just a segment of the population? Why aren't we concerned about um, a more inclusive view? But, you know, that's not what got me. What really hit home for me was the word survive. We have the will to survive. We have been surviving. But is it about survival? I don't think so. I hope not anymore. We need to move beyond that mentality into thriving. So really, the fundamental question of the 21st century and beyond is whether the West has the will to thrive. To thrive. And what does thriving mean for us? We have to define that in order to be able to create a um, program, right, for this country, for the world, however we want to define, uh, whether it's the G20 uh, countries. But we need some kind of a uh, shared vision of how we're going to go forward to thrive together. So there's that. That's that's kind of a big deal, I think. You know, we also we were talking earlier with uh with a doctor who um was was talking about inequities in um in the system by which people get kidneys and it got me thinking just about about healthcare because that's another thing that's been in the news and really controversial, right? Is the is what are we going to do? Are we going to have a national healthcare system that works for everyone? Are we um, going to just completely dismantle Obamacare? What is actually ahead for us? And it got me thinking about what's happening with Americans in healthcare uh, from a financial level. Because you might remember a year or so ago, there was a story that really shook everybody to the roots saying that middle income Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. It turns out I... Um, I found out that Americans spend almost as much on health care as we do on food. That was interesting. 
And the average individual spends about or incurs about $1,000 of health-related costs in a year. So then, you know, how is it that we're spending so much money? Well, it turns out that 5% of the population of the U.S. is responsible for about 50% of our healthcare costs in the country. And that's because, you know, there's a small percentage of people who have a greater need for whatever reason. You know, again, we were talking with um, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs earlier, and she was talking about, uh, you know, kidney transplant. That is incredibly expensive. Cancer is incredibly expensive. The treatment program, I'm, I personally am really grateful that we have medicine at that level in this country, that we can we can um, try so many experimental techniques to save people's lives, to give them a chance to help them stay on the planet. Um, but it there is a cost, and we have to be aware that there's going to be people who are, we can call super users of the healthcare system. And because we are a country that cares for all, we're all going to have to be, you know, sharing the cost of their healthcare that's what we've been doing anyway. That's how insurance works. So that's going to continue. turns out that, um, let's see, 16 million people spend more than 20000 a year. Some 42% of those people are senior citizens. We have to take care of our elders. That's, um, that's just living right by taking care of our elders, right? And then about 20% are under 45, 4% are children and teens. And yes, you know, most of the super users, 90% of people who are using extensive um, healthcare services, the ER, whatever, 90% of them have healthcare insurance. They have health insurance. So, so some of the ideas we have around health insurance are not actually not accurate. Um, two-thirds of them do have cancer, heart disease, diabetes, or they've experienced a stroke. And so that's the high cost of healthcare for them. Surgeries are costly. We know that. There's, there's got to be a fundamental approach to the idea of care, health care. We care for all. So what, how do you feel about that? Give me a call, 921-1530 or 800-834-1530. Maybe you're someone who has had to use the system and has been grateful for the care. You know, in Belize, where I was born, um, small, tiny, tiny country, when people are diagnosed there with cancer, they are told to go home to die. There aren't health care cancer, um, I should say, cancer, you know, care services. There's no radiation or none of these sorts of things are available in the country. If people have money, they can go to Mexico, they can come to the United States and they can partake of the healthcare system, you know, purchase whatever services they need. But otherwise, there's there's nothing. And we have to remember that that's what exists in some parts of the world. It's, it's quite uh, heartbreaking to think of and speaking of heartbreak on another level, wow, the Butte County fires, we have heard about the evacuations and our hearts and prayers go out to the people there who are, um, you know, probably quite worried about their belongings, but of course, grateful to be safe. Um, sending our hearts and prayers also out to uh, to the uh, shelter services. We've got um, various churches keeping people safe, giving them a place to, to stay, to sleep, to rest, to wait. So we're thinking of you. And um, that's a scary time. That's a scary time. So what else? Uh, there's a lot um, a lot of other interesting things happening in the news. I'm going to go back a little bit to uh, a couple more of these uh, driver issues before we take our, our break. 
Um, one more, for example. How about just speeding? <laughs> just speeding. And I'm going to admit that uh, that I myself, I have issues with this. I tend to speed. I tend to drive a little too fast. And, you know, some of that is, that, uh, is not necessarily that I'm in a hurry. It used to be. That used to be my biggest problem is that I didn't allow enough time. Um, one of my friends used to say that, I was leaving my house when I should be arriving wherever I was supposed to be. And that was true. I'm no longer that person. I do um, I do very well on staying on time now, but but I still drive too fast. And some a little bit of it now is because I have a sports car. <laughs> and I really, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. So I'm going to admit that that's true about me. You know, my dog made me a better driver. Because he's in the car and he's a big yellow lab, 85 pounds. And I drive, you know, very um, carefully because I don't want him to be uncomfortable in the car. How funny is that? That my dog would make me a better driver. I wonder about you. What kind of driver are you? And how do you feel about, um, how do you feel about, oh, the healthcare system or, or about Sacramento drivers? I've got Diana on the line and she's, um, she's from Auburn. And Diana, you have some idea about healthcare. Yes, um, I was telling your screener that um, I think my comment is just to say I don't think nobody's, all of us are not going to be happy with the healthcare system no matter what. And I believe that we should take care of the people with born uh, diseases first, uh, people that smoke and that are obese and don't take care of themselves. I think they should pay more. Um, and that's my comment. I want to know how you feel about it. Well, I, I, um, I do understand what you're saying when you, you know, quite honestly point out that not everybody's going to be happy with any kind of universal health healthcare system we come up with. That's true. There's always going to be something that isn't quite right for someone. I agree with you there. It's interesting, this idea of, of charging smokers or, um, or people who you say, you know, are obese, charging them extra. And I don't know if I agree with that. There's some, there's, there's, here's my reason. I'm, I'm going to break down with the smokers first. Okay. So people smoke, I think, because they are anxious, right? They have anxiety and in, they never learned how to deal with their anxiety. And they've developed this way of dealing with it called smoking. What do you think about that? Well, I think everybody has some kind of addiction, and I I just want to comment also about how people are upset about um, that uh, we're going to cut the people that need uh, uh, help with opi- opioids. Uh, Opioid. Opioids, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to have help with theirs, if they're so gung-ho about helping those people, what about people with addictions to cigarettes? Are they going to help those people, too? Right. But what I'm trying to point out is that, you know, cigarette smoking um, is more of a compulsion than an addiction in my view. And, you know, there'll be people that disagree with that, too. But I think, again, we're talking about compulsive behavior, people trying to deal with their anxiety, people trying to deal with trauma in their lives. That's why people get into alcohol and drugs. I think Um, um, that's not the only reason, but I think it's a big chunk of the reason Uh, there's always a new drug epidemic that people are rushing toward um, dealing with. And I think we have opioids right now, right? We've had crack before. There's always something, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that, you know, um, 
the, I remember, and I, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm. I remember though there was a. Um, it got squashed. I'm in my forties. I'm, I'm, I'm forty-five. Okay, so this got squashed pretty quickly, but there was a movement um, very briefly in the nineteen eighties. Eighties? No, I'm sorry, nineties, where um, where people um, where there was a proposal to charge pregnant women extra because they said, well, you know, it's optional, so you shouldn't. It shouldn't be part of your healthcare system. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. All right. See that now. See, see where that. Okay. So my, here's my point. You get my point, right? Because we all were. We all go like, what? You can't do that. What? Those. You know, right? Because we love babies and we we want we want we, we want to keep our population going in the U.S. and we uh, and we don't see them doing us anything wrong. Whereas what happens with a smoker or their judgment about people who um who we believe are obese we. We're judging them as doing something wrong, and so we we're, we're ready to punish them. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, I I don't mean it in a in a bad way, but I just find it interesting. Oh yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I just as an exploration, you know. What I don't know what will we do about people. I don't want to say this wrong. Sucking up the healthcare system, going to to the emergency room for a sprained ankle or a cough or a sneeze. Um, um, well, I think what happens is that people who don't have health care, um, you know, tended to wait until whatever their underlying condition was when it became an emergency. Then, you know, let's say that, yeah, they had a cough and it has now escalated to pneumonia because they didn't have health care or they didn't think they could um, afford the doctor. So they waited too long. Yeah. So. Anyway, that was a great call. I'm, I'm really uh, interested in more of your thoughts. So give me a call, 921-1530 or 800-834-1530, and we'll talk some more right after this. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. And I'm your host today, Joey Garcia. We are on the web at kfbk.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. We are having conversations about a couple of different things, the healthcare system and and changes that we could make in the healthcare system to make it more equitable for all. There's also um, President Trump's oh speech in Poland on Thursday. And, you know, a lot of people have focused on this speech and his, uh, let me, really this this quote, here it is. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive, he said. That's that's the quote that's been going around. It continues on to, do we have the will to defend our values at any cost? And most pundits have been focusing on the word the West or the phrase the West and what that means. And there's been a lot of concern that it's sort of exclusive. But I'm more concerned personally in this idea of survive, whether the West has the will to survive because we we're surviving. We are thriving. And how do we want to continue thriving? I would say the fundamental question of the 21st century is whether the West has the will to continue to thrive. And we've got to define what thriving means to us. And then we got to go for it. And that means, you know, right, we're going to live out our values. And our values are we believe in loving our neighbor, right? So we have to live that out everywhere in our lives and on the roads is one of it. We, we've been talking about driving and I'm going to bring that up again. I was joking, you know, my dog may be a better driver because um, 
I try to drive really carefully when he's in the car so that he doesn't lose his footing, his balance. One of the things I noticed about driving, and you know, of course, Sacramento has been um, labeled now one of the worst cities for drivers. You know, apparently we are the worst drivers. But one of the things I find super interesting is that when driver's ed moved out of the high school curriculum, driving got much worse. I don't know whether it's because the grading system, you know, if you're in high school and you're learning driver's ed in a high school uh, school day and it's part of the curriculum and you're getting graded on it by a teacher that you probably have for another class, you probably take it more seriously and um, kindness and fairness is um was a focus. But driver's ed is kind of an elective now. And, um, you know, I've got a call from Kevin in Sacramento. And you're asking me, is my dog in the driver's seat? What? No, sweetie, in the passenger seat. In the passenger seat. The oh. Passenger seat. <laughs> okay, now Come he, on, girl. <laughs> he's not in the driver's seat. He's not in the passenger seat either. No, he, he doesn't like back. that. He's in the back. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. A that's, lot of people have their dogs. I've seen that. Know, in that passenger seat, and an airbag would kill that dog. Oh, oh, that's terrible. You know, it's so funny. My dog, see, this is, I always joke how smart because he is. Because you're not strapped in. You know yeah. what I mean? I've seen people try to strap their dogs in. It doesn't work. Um, so when I had my Honda, my dog would drive right in the back seat, and now I have a um, Scion. And so the back seat goes flat. So he's got that whole area. He just spreads out with his little blankies, just rolling fine. So tell hey, me. Another thing I want to see was you're talking about this Trump thing here. Yeah, which he one? He's not talking about America. Well, he's talking about the West, which is he's all of us. He's talking about the West Europeans. No, no, he was talking about the West um, in general, right? So Yeah, but what he's talking about the, is the West Europeans and how they're letting all these refugees come in and everything. Well, you know, that's a story I have coming up soon because um, there's a Montana town. You know, Montana, we know, is rural, but it's also, you know, often called very conservative. And they are welcoming refugees there. There's some moms who've kind of taken things over and, and they want to see that that change to be more welcoming so that's an interesting thought kevin okay dear you have a great weekend thank you you too Uh yeah the driving so what do you think about drivers ed taken out of the high school curriculum and and uh, moved into an elective or really there's driving schools now so kids learn on their own on the weekend through a driving school not sure that um, getting just the fundamentals is as meaningful as learning fairness and values that used to be attached to driver's ed as a high school class. That's an interesting thing. This is KFBK Weekend Live. I'm Joey Garcia, and we will be back with more right after this. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. We are on the web at kfbk.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. I'm Joey Garcia, your host for today and uh, trying to stay cool here in the studio. Boy, my house got warm today. When I looked up, 
it was already 80 degrees inside the house. Uh, I'd gone out really early this morning to the river and spent time uh, walking along the river at like 8 o'clock in the morning. It was already 70-something degrees. Took the dog for a swim. That was fun. We've been talking today about uh, driving. You know, Sacramento drivers were supposed to be terrible, terrible, terrible drivers on the road. Wondering what you think about that. Do you think you're a terrible driver? I know that I used to be, and I really worked on being a less aggressive on the uh, driver on the road. A lot of it had to do with me not allowing myself enough time and rushing, rushing, rushing from one thing to another. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that or anything else you want to talk about. 916-921-1530 or 800-834-1530. You know, one of the things that really concerns me about Sacramento drivers, I've seen it here worse than other areas where I've driven in California and uh, back east. We really have this thing for blocking emergency vehicles. What's that about? You know, uh, I don't know. People don't want to pull over. Um, Yesterday, I was driving up to Folsom from Sacramento and an emergency vehicle went by with a police car and people were seemed to be very, very reticent to pull over and let the vehicles pass. But once they did, um, all these cars moved out of um, the lanes they were in and got in the lane behind the emergency vehicle as if, well, I'm just going to follow them because it'll be faster. And I, that really shocked me. Wow. I mean, you know, let's get out of the way. What if that was our loved one in that ambulance and, uh, you know, what would we would we want people behaving crazy? Of course we wouldn't. That's like kind of a dumb question, Joey. That's what so. So, you know, um, can we just be a little more careful um, and conscious and compassionate on the road? That's really what it's about. You know, littering and driving um, without insurance, without our seatbelts, just the things we know we shouldn't be doing. You know, why not just. Why not just uh, make an effort to become better people? One of the things that uh, I keep saying one of the things, but there is um, an idea that people don't change because they have a fixed mindset about who they are. They believe that they are, um, you know, that old I am what I am. So they believe that's who they are and they can't change. And then there's other people who say, you know, uh, it's all about growth for me, and I'm going to use every experience I have as an opportunity for growth and change and become a better person and just keep keep striving toward being the best I can be. Where do you fall in that line? Are you willing to to change and grow? That's really important to me. I, I try to stay present to um, things within myself that, that can be fine-tuned, get, that I might need to oh, scale back on and ditch entirely. Um, I want to grow. I want to be a better me. So that that makes me think of Montana. I was talking earlier about this story. Um, you know, can you imagine in this really conservative rural state of Montana, some moms got together and decided they wanted to welcome refugees to the city. And the, and the reason is, um, and particularly the city of Missoula, Montana. So one of the moms was, you know, she was a new mom and she was feeding her baby, um, her infant, when she saw that that photo. You probably saw it, too. It's a tragic photo of a drowned Syrian refugee, uh, a little boy, three years old, laying face down on a beach um, in Turkey. It was, it was just heartbreaking. It went all through the news, right? Well, she saw that and here she was with her new infant and her heart broke open and she thought, you know, 
no, this is not acceptable. And and she didn't know what to do about it, but she was in a book club with a bunch of other women and she wanted, she said out, you know, after the book club meeting, she wanted to process her, her feelings about it and her thoughts. And she said she wasn't the only mother who was struck by this. And as mothers, they couldn't stop thinking about it. They wanted to do something. So they actually started a nonprofit called uh, Soft Landing. And it's actually a branch of a national nonprofit. And they wanted to welcome at least some refugees. Now, it's been about almost 40 years since refugees have been resettled in Missoula. The, let's see, about, uh, what they said, about nearly 400 Hmong refugees were resettled there back in uh, 1979, 1980. But, you know, it's such an interesting experience that, 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 that they were so moved. But their own life experience, being moms, uh, touched their heart and uh, made them or allowed them to connect with these parents who had, who had lost this, this sweet little boy on that beach in Turkey. Well, we've also been talking about driving. I've got Mike from Fairfield on the, on the line. Mike, you drive a big rig. Yeah, I take it down to Oakland and back to Fairfield uh, once a day or early in the morning and once at night. So you see a lot. Tell us what you see. Well, I'm amazed that people don't seem to understand that the truck can weigh up to 80,000 pounds oh, or 40, okay. 40 tons. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha, you because yeah. I have seen people cut in front of big rigs. All the time. What is seem that? To think that? Well, they seem to think that space that I keep between the car in front of me and me is for them to jump into. It's so crazy. Yeah, I... I don't know, you know, the amount of patience that big rig drivers need is, uh, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. It's amazing. So you got to back off, back off, and they keep jumping in, jumping in. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when when did they stop teaching drivers aid in high school? You know, I think it's been about twenty years. Do you know actually, um, Luis? I graduated in '03, and it was available. It was like either you took health or drivers aid. So it was an elective. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's been at least 10 years, but... But I think that's just terrible. It is, because as I say, what I noticed uh, when I used to teach high school, and I did, so and I did for 15 years, um, it was it was not taught then, and I could just see that disconnect occur. And the disconnect yeah. was, you know, I'm not getting it for a grade, so um, let me just, you know, let me just do what I can do. Hey, you know, I, I apologize, Mike. I want to talk to you a little bit more, but I have Mary Ann Aldridge on the phone from Butte County uh, Fire, and she wants to talk with us about the fire up there. Do you mind? Um, thank you so much. All right, Mary Ann Aldridge, do we have you on the line? Yes, you do. Hi, Mary Ann. Thank you for uh, for calling us. What do we need to know about the Butte County Fire? Well, right now the wall fire is 2,000 acres plus, and we have multiple areas in the eastern foothills um, east of Oroville that are under either an evacuation order or warning. So we have approximately two to 300 um, residents, different, not just people, but two to 300 homes that have been evacuated through this event. Uh, right now we have very little containment. So the fire is um, burning very actively and uh, uh, impacting several small communities. So what uh, what can we do? Do we can can other people help in some way? Um, you know, the shelter, um, the folks that have been displaced are being taken care of by the Red Cross shelter. So always in this situation, Red Cross can use support and mo- monetary support is the most important because it allows them to actually purchase the specific things that they need. So that's always going to be um, very, very appreciated. But 
right now, you know, just um, folks um, keep these people in mind that have been displaced and, and, and keep the firefighters in, in mind. It's very warm, uh, very hot, um, very um, tenuous um, conditions. Yeah, and unsafe. so we're just going to do our best. So, uh, and also to stay out of the area, right? Because that would be stay out of the way. Beneficial. Yeah. Yes. So uh, what's happening traffic wise in that area then? You know, this is a rural community that that um, that is being affected. So we're really blessed that people um, they're heeding the warnings, they're heeding the the request to stay out of the area. I just came down from the fire area, and there's a lot of road closures, and people are basically being very mindful of our need to be able to get in and, and fight that fire. So we thank the community for that. Oh, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. Okay. And so do we have any idea when the fire might be contained? We do not. We don't have any numbers like that. We don't. um, It's too early. The fire's been burning for just a little over 24 hours. So um, hopefully by tomorrow, we'll have a little bit of a handle and we'll know some numbers. But right now, we're our main goal is just to protect the homes that are still in the path and uh, work aggressively on the fire. So one other thing, Marianne, this is, a, you know, it is a region that suffers from fires quite often, correct? Right. Right. So this time of year, though, I don't, is it ever been this hot for the, you know? Oh, oh of course. It has um, you been. Know, this, okay. Yes, we're, we're well known for being triple digits many times during the summer. The unique thing this year, though, is we had just an, a wonderful winter that filled our reservoirs and turned our hills beautifully emerald green. And in the process, the, the grass grew probably twice as tall as it usually does. And this particular fire is burning in an area that has burned um, recently in the last several years. And so it's going through some areas that not only have the tall grass but and the dry brush, but it also is an area that has dead and down, which is fueling the fire. So it's just the perfect storm right now for what's happening. And is there anything else we need to know at this point? Oh, I um, just will keep you posted, and we appreciate everybody's um, interest. And just keep following us on um, fire.ca.gov. The incident is updated as soon as we have any information. All right. And Marianne, so um, donations to the Red Cross and the Red Cross information is on your uh, website as well, or, or we're directing Red Cross and do people tag their donation for Butte County? How does that work? You know, the best thing for Red Cross is to not tag it because then it is actually um, has to be used for a specific area. And it's better just to give to Red Cross. They're very good with their money and it allows them to meet the needs. Um, just donate to Red Cross. They can go on their website and they make it really easy. Great. All right. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Marianne Aldridge, Butte County, um, Cal Fire. And uh, we we are so concerned about what's happening up there. Our hearts are going out to um, the two hundred three between two hundred and three hundred residents who've been evacuated, and all of their animals who are some of whom are in shelters, but some of whom we don't know possibly where they are. So, so we're thinking about them. And if um, if your pocketbook, your budget allows it, please do donate to the Red Cross so it can be used in in that area. So I'm Joey Garcia. This is KFBK Weekend Live, and I'll be back after this. KFBK Weekend Live with rotating hosts and constantly changing topics. I'm Joey Garcia, your host today in this heat. 
Woo, we are frying here in Sacramento, but uh, lucky to be alive and grateful to be with you on this Saturday. We are on the web at kpga.com and streaming live on your iHeartRadio app and Facebook Live. We've been talking about drivers in Sacramento and the healthcare system. We've also been talking about the Butte County Fire and uh, love to talk with you about whatever you want to chat with me about. It's uh, easy to call in 916-921-1530 or toll free at 800-834-1530. You know, I, I'm going to get back to driving just uh, one more time here because one of the things I find really irritating is people who are driving under the influence of social media, right? So uh, I, you know, I was a high school teacher and I was nearly hit in my car three times by parents who'd come to pick up their kids, but were on their phones and, and nearly hit me. Um, So I find the whole distraction very frightening I have been on the freeway during high traffic and seen people um, with their phones on their wheel, you know, just easing along, enjoying whatever's on the phone, some little video or something. Ay, 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 people. Yeah, you know, that that car can, can become a weapon really quickly. So let's think about that. Anyway, and how are you driving your life? Those kinds of things. I, I hope we can all be kinder to each other because that's a lot of what is important in the way that we interact with each other, the kind of kind of people we want to be, the kind of country we want to have. It's about that quality of love and treating everybody on the road as if they matter, being attentive to where our attention is. Is it in front of us, behind us? Those kinds of things are important. Well, it's been fun hanging out with you. Next week's host is Mike Madrid. He's a political strategist and uh, focuses on Latino voting trends. That'll be fun. I'm Joey Garcia, and I've enjoyed hanging out with you for KFBK Weekend Live. Have a fabulous Saturday night.